Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. suppose this will be more of a subdued opening than most weeks. I can't really come out here and shout and congratulations and all that. We, because not all of us survived this past week. Uh, I'm not going to even rehash what happened in Uvalde. Uh, if you follow true crime news at all, or news in general, it's all that they've been talking about for the last few days. Uh, it'd be pointless for me to do so. But let me share you with you some statistics. These statistics were taken from the New York Times and Pew Research from uh, Giffords.org, along with uh, other sources. You can find it all online. I've got links at the end, too. Here's the number of mass shootings. Uh, these uh, mass shootings are where four or more people are killed. Um, the tally of mass shootings from 1998 to 2019. The U.S., United States, number one with a bullet. There were 101 mass shootings in the United States from 1998 to 2019. Coming in at second is France with eight. The United Kingdom had one. Um, all studies that have been done show a direct correlation between gun ownership and homicides, the number of homicides. The more guns, the more homicides you have. goes hand in hand. You're much more likely to kill yourself with a gun, if you own a gun, than you are to kill ever kill an intruder. Suicides make up 54% of all gun deaths. That's from last year. 
79% of all murders in the United States involve a firearm. In the United Kingdom, that drops down to 4%. There has been a 43% increase in gun-related deaths since 2010 here in the United States. The states with the highest gun-related deaths are states that have more guns and conservative traditions. Mississippi is in the lead, Louisiana, Alabama, Wyoming. The states with the lowest gun deaths, New York, Rhode Island, Massachusetts. There were three active shooter incidents in the year 2000. In 2020, there were 40. Here's the number of firearms per 100 people in the United States. 120.5. Let me read that again. These are the number of firearms for every 100 people in the United States. The answer is 120.5. More guns than people. Number two on that list, the highest, the, the second highest country. Okay, so for every 100 people in the United States, there are 120.5 guns. The next lowest country with 52.8 guns for every 100 people is Yemen. It's a third world country, folks. 52% of Americans want stricter gun laws. The vast, well, it's not vast, the majority of Americans want stricter gun laws. 35% want the laws to remain as they are. 11% of our country, the vocal, very vocal minority, want fewer restrictions. Hospitalizations for firearm injuries account for $2.8 billion spent on health care every year. 41,000 people die each year in the United States to gun violence. It's an average of 110 every day, and that is rising. The United States accounts for 4% of the population of Earth. We also account for 35% of firearm suicides, and you are 25 times more likely to be killed by a gun in America than any other developed country. One million Americans have been shot in the last decade. African-American men make up 52% of homicide victims, but make up 6% of our population. Unarmed black men are five times more likely to be shot than an unarmed white man. Domestic violence victims are five times more likely to be killed if a gun is in the house. Guns are the leading cause of death of children under 18 years of age in the United States. Our Second Amendment says, quote, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, 
the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. They are not talking about individuals. A militia is a group of citizens that were used back in the 1700s to protect towns and states. We have these people today. They're called the police. The states have the National Guard to protect our state interests. We, have, we no longer have the need for citizen militias. If you believe that you own an AR-15 or other weapon because you need to protect yourself from our government, good fucking luck if the government ever decides to turn on you. We have <laughs> your your gun is not going to go up against the United States military. There's we're beyond that. It's the future. We have drones. We have robots. We don't even need to get near you. Um, that's not why people own guns. People own guns in the United States because they want to be John McClane from Die Hard. And they keep them hoping for that one in a million opportunity where they can step up and be the hero and shoot the bad guys and be justified in killing another human being. But guns did not save anybody in Texas last week. By the way, Texas State Senator, not State Senator, Texas Senator, Ted Cruz has accepted $422,000 in donations from the gun lobby. Those are some statistics I wanted to share with you. Let's move on to some other stories. I promise it'll pick up in the second half. Folks, stay with me. A jury in Portland, Oregon this week convicted 71-year-old Nancy Brophy, convicted her on Wednesday for the murder of her husband in 2018. This is according to The Guardian. Brophy, this is interesting, is a romance novelist and author. Back in 2011, she wrote an essay that kind of popular. title of the essay was How to Murder Your Husband. The uh, opening lines of that essay, let me read them to you. As a romantic suspense writer, I spend a lot of time thinking about murder and consequently about police procedure. After all, if the murder is supposed to set me free, I certainly don't want to spend any time in jail. And let me say clearly for the record, I don't like jumpsuits and orange is not my color. Now, uh, a jury convicted her even though the judge in that trial excluded that essay, so they didn't even have to read the essay. Um, here are some of the evidence that was used to get the conviction. Brophy used the same make and model of gun. Oh, she owned the same make and model of gun that was used to kill her husband. He was a chef, by the way, and uh, was murdered at this like culinary institute. She was also seen on surveillance driving to and from this culinary institute where he was working at the time. Prosecutors allege she bought a ghost gun. Those are those guns that you can order through the mail or 3D print on your own. 
And they say she swapped out some of the parts between the ghost gun and the gun that was used in this murder that has still not been found. Uh, her defense said that the gun parts that they found were inspiration for a new book. And sure, she was near the culinary school that day, but she'd only parked there to work on her writing. You don't work on a book in your car. It just doesn't. It's not set up for that. Like, you go to a coffee shop or you work from home. That's kind of a lame excuse. Um, so, note to self, you know, don't write the essay about murdering your partner if, in fact, you plan to murder your partner. That's, you're going to be the first person they look at. She's convicted. She's facing life in prison at 71 years old. Uh, this week, an accountability group is calling for new safety features in the metaverse after a woman's avatar was sexually assaulted online, according to The Sun. Footage from the attack shows this woman, her avatar, in a virtual room within Horizon Worlds. That's that meeting place that you can get to in the, in the metaverse. Two male avatars were standing near, nearby. One male started making very lewd comments and then touching her avatar without consent and recording the incident for, for lols, lols, right? Another woman reported that she was virtually gang-raped in Horizon Worlds, said the experience was surreal and a nightmare. This past February, Meta, ended, uh, Meta added a personal boundary feature, which keeps avatars at a socially acceptable distance in the metaverse. This is bizarre. This is, this is, these are crimes of the future that we're just now trying to wrap our heads around. Who has jurisdiction here? What is the crime? Can we prosecute an assault in this, in this case if the assault happened just with avatars? I look back at the days when I was playing GoldenEye 64. The things that me and my friends used to do to each other in that game. Oh my god. You know, I'm glad nobody <laughs> glad nobody could hold us accountable for what was going on in James Bond. Uh, I understand this is different and it's it's getting the the line between reality and the metaverse is going to get blurry. As, as time goes by and as the, the features get more and more real. But who has jurisdiction here? At first, it's going to be the corporation. It's going to be Meta. It's going to be Mark Zuckerberg. And they're going to, you know, they could possibly do fines, but they could kick you out of the metaverse. And at some point in time, you're going to need to be there to do any sort of business, just like the Internet. That could have real implications. But criminal cases would have to be in in a real legitimate court. Uh, I don't know if that would be... Like, what if the person's using a proxy through the Netherlands? Could you even find them? And then once you do find them, which country has... Do you sue them in their country? Do you sue them here? This is a big... This is a kind of a big mess. We're going to have to develop, I, I imagine, a new court system for these virtual worlds. It's fascinating. All right. Hey, uh, let's take a real quick break. I'll be back in two and two with some cold case updates. 
that veer into this world of the 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 future again. You're not going to believe what's next. All right, I'll be right back. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And welcome back to Dynasty, starring Ted Shackelford. I like Ted Shackelford. We don't see enough of him these days. Hey, uh, cold case update for you. This is bonkers. The future is now. The future is... Wow. 13-year-old Cedar Soares was shot to death in 2003. This happened in the Netherlands. He's Dutch. That's where the Dutch come from. He was throwing snowballs with friends in a parking lot of a metro station there, according to CBS News. Police, when they found him shot to death, thought that perhaps he had thrown a snowball at a car and somebody got angry, shot him, killed him. But as time goes by, they have come to believe that it was gang-related, that it was a hit sort of from another gang, even though he was 13, maybe caught in the crosshairs. And here's what they've done. They've brought the kid back to life. They've, they've, this is what they're saying. They're saying, we brought him back to life to help fight his own crime. And the way they've done it 
is using this deep fake technology. Have you seen this where they even have apps that'll do this? You can put your face on into um, GIFs, uh, into clips from movies, and it's 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 fascinating. They used a, a, a version of that in remember in Rogue One at the end. Princess Leia, a young Carrie Fisher is standing there. That's sort of the technology, but it's gotten exponentially better in the last couple of years. So they have this commercial that's running in the Netherlands and online. You can find it online where they use deepfake technology and have this 13-year-old Cedar Soares talking about his own murder and asking, begging for tips. And it's working. The police already got like a dozen tips on this case that they're they're going to to track down their hope here is to see the dead speaking is going to hit the perpetrator in the heart they're going to have some sort of reaction and either confess or somebody will see how upset that they've become how cool is that moving into the world of genetic genealogy here's some news this week parabon nanolabs gets the solve. This is a November 6th, 1980 case. They found a, uh, bystanders found a burning body near I-80 in Wolf Creek, PA, back in 1980. It's like, a, what is that, a 42-year-old cold case. They didn't know who this man was. Well, genetic genealogy led to a Chicago man named Edwin Rodriguez, who left town in 1980 with a buddy named Nestor Quintanilla. Uh, I'm Quintanil, sorry, Nestor Quintanil. And he just never contacted his family again. He left town with Nestor, said, hey, I'll see you later, and then never came back. Left for Florida. And, and just the family never heard from him again. Police say they now strongly believe that uh, Nestor was the one that killed him on the way to Florida, burned his body to hide the evidence. Nestor himself died in 2002 at the age of 71. So at least there's some, I hate the word closure, but an answer in that case. Another story in genetic genealogy that uh, is troublesome. This is a baby case. And these are the type of cases, you know, I have this nonprofit, the Porchlight Project, um, not just mine. It's you know we've got a great board here in Ohio. We raise money for genetic genealogy and DNA testing for Ohio cold cases. You can read about our stuff porchlightonline.org, uh, and we've had some great success the last couple of years. People have approached us about baby cases. These cases where you where um, a baby's body and I'm talking like newborn is found and was discarded and they're trying to find out who left this baby there it's a are you seeing how this might be a slippery slip uh, I'm, I'm getting there anyways here's here's the case i'm talking about police found a dead baby in a bag on farmland in Teresa, wisconsin that's near madison this was 13 years ago they found this baby wrapped up in a bag on farmland now, the coroner out there discovered that the baby was actually dead at birth, and the body was then discarded. 
The police have always wanted to know who left this baby there. They use DNA and genetic genealogy to track down the mother. Now, if you find articles about this online, you'll notice something peculiar. The name of the genetic genealogist and the company that did this testing are not mentioned. Typically, you want to take credit for that. It's not mentioned, and, 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 here's, and here's why. We're getting, we're getting there. So, the, the baby had died at birth. They used genetic genealogy to track down the baby's mother. I'm not going to identify her in this podcast. She is identified in these newspaper articles, by the way. This happened 13 years ago. She pleaded guilty this week to concealing the death of a child, and she faces three years in prison. Now think about this for a second. Uh, I know it's a very touchy subject right now with everything that's going on with Roe v. Wade um, and the, the topic of abortion in general. But this baby, this baby was deceased at, at birth. And what she did was dispose of the body improperly. Um, this is something a hundred years ago that would have been perfectly legal, although, you know, um, disturbing. This is an instance, though, in which genetic genealogy was used to identify somebody in a crime that was not murder or rape. And folks, that has been the gentleman the gentleman's agreement for the use of genetic genealogy since we got the Golden State Killer in 2018. Using these online databases is a little bit of um it gets into the 4th amendment. And it's totally unregulated right now, and I'm all for use of it, but only in rape and murder. This is a very slippery slope when you start using it for other crimes, lesser felonies like concealing a body. What is stopping them from eventually using genetic genealogy to track down misdemeanor crimes? Uh, I mean, literally in states where pot is still illegal. You flick a, a joint out the window when you're done. They use that. They run DNA to track you down and arrest you for a crime that's a misdemeanor that's illegal in other states. The agreement has always been only rape and murder, and this is not one of those cases. And beyond that, one of the other reasons why baby cases are so tricky is... You know, when does it happen that you track down and find out that the person that discarded this baby was a 15-year-old girl who didn't know any better, who was hiding evidence of incest and rape? It's very it's 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 tough. It's tough. And you have to you have to consider where where your morals lie there, I guess. This woman was 32 years old at the time. Um, so that's, a that's ethically a really interesting case. 
Um, some weird, something weird happened the, earlier this week in the world of true crime that I don't think enough people are paying attention to. There's an excellent article about this at the Daily Beast. On Monday morning this week, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that it's not enough to be innocent of a crime to get your conviction overturned. This involves Shin v. Ramirez case. And one Barry Jones. Barry Jones is a man who's sitting on death row in Arizona for the rape and murder of his girlfriend's four-year-old daughter. It's a tough case to get any sort of sympathy for the man, right? Well, listen to some of these details. Uh, first of all, in 2018, a federal court overturned Jones's conviction, saying he did not receive effective counsel. And that's your Sixth Amendment right, by the way. It's one of the big ones. Uh, your right to effective counsel in criminal cases. And they also found that there's a preponderance of evidence saying he committed no crime, that he's innocent. This poor girl suffered from a, a ruptured small intestine. And when she showed up at the hospital and police got involved, they figured the worst. They thought the worst right off the bat. But there was no evidence that she was actually raped. There's a very, very narrow timeline for Jones to have committed any sort of improper act. And the doctors said that the injury could not have become fatal so quickly if he was actually involved. This was probably something else. The fault was not with Jones. It was with his attorneys. The Arizona's attorney general appealed... This is how it got to the U.S. Supreme Court. Remember, the federal court overturned his conviction, saying he was probably innocent. Well, the Arizona Attorney General appealed that, saying literally in, in his argument that innocence isn't enough to let this guy go. And the Supreme Court of the United States of America agreed this week in a split six or in a uh, in a six three decision. I'll let you guess how that worked out. They ruled the federal court could no longer consider, uh, should not consider evidence that was not presented at trial. So by finding out that Jones was innocent later, after the trial, since that evidence was not brought up in court, it couldn't be considered when thinking about ineffective counsel. You can't put into evidence what was not presented originally at trial, even if it's clearly showing that the person never committed the crime. As this is like, this is like them embracing the letter of the law without the the reason the law was written for in the first place. Um, here, you know, Sonia Sotomayor, um, a liberal justice, sums it up a little, you know, much much better. Here's here's what she says: "Quote: The court's decision will leave many people who were convicted in violation of the Sixth Amendment to face incarceration or even execution." without any meaningful chance to vindicate their right to counsel. She says this ruling is perverse and illogical. Ugh, what a week. Uh, there's some really good stuff going on in pop culture, though. If you haven't seen it yet, there's a new true crime series, narrative series, starring Andrew Garfield on FX. This is on Hulu. It's uh, the title of which is Under the Banner of Heaven. It looks uh, pretty, 
bleak but beautifully done. This is actually based on a novel by the same name, Under the Banner of Heaven, by John Krakauer. He's a really excellent writer. And involves the 1984 murder of Brenda Lafferty and her infant daughter Erica. And as you peel back the layers of this murder, you get involved with the Mormon church and polygamy and people who are speaking to God and God telling them that somebody needs some killing. Under the Banner of Heaven, check it out. Going to the charts, checking out Chartable charts, the true crime charts on Chartable.com. They're not paying me, by the way, but it's a good place to check out what's uh, what's popular at any time. This week, it's all it's all the oldies and the goodies. You've got Crime Junkie. You've got My Favorite Murder. Uh, so I want to tell you about two podcasts that are not on the top ten. Uh, the first I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, Beastmaster. And if you haven't listened to it yet, do yourself a favor and jump on it right away. Especially if you like The Tiger King. This is right up there, but it's better. Uh, it's on Audible, by the way. It's an Audible original. And um, it's called Beastmaster. And it's about this crazy guy from Ohio named Sam Mazzola who raised bears behind his ranch house in the suburbs and would take these bears downtown to the clubs on Friday nights and you could pay to wrestle his bears. It was a thing for a while. Eventually, there were people that started dying, including Sam himself. Spoiler alert. was found dead in his house, chained to his bed, suffocated on a dildo. How's... How's that for a, uh, a a tease? That's just the tip of the iceberg of the weirdness in that case. Check it out. Beastmaster. The other podcast that you should be listening to is Murder Sheet. They are doing something that a lot of true crime podcasts don't do very well, which is uh, research. They are doing some excellent journalism in the Delphi case, the murders of Abby and Libby. And they have found documents in the last few weeks that nobody, and they've kind of cracked this case wide open. They found an affidavit uh, from an FBI agent that talks about a suspect that they were looking back in 2017. And the reasons they were able to get a subpoena in that case, and it explained a little bit of the crime scene, which has been kept hush-hush for several years now. And uh, they also... um, you found some information about this this other suspect in the case, uh, Kagan Klein, um, which is very compelling. So get caught up on them. Support them because they're doing some, some excellent actual journalism over there. Um, that's the show for this week, folks. Thanks for tuning in. I hope uh, the stats at the beginning meant something to you. Um, give your kid a hug wherever they're they're at out there. And uh, I'm going to say that, you know, the good news is it is Friday, after all. And tomorrow's another week. And as of right now, in the words of the incomparable Murray Saul, we got to, 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 get down, damn it. 
True Crime This Week is a Fearful Symmetry production. Our theme music is Trash Town Boogie by Mr. Smith, used under a Creative Commons license for use in this show. All sources are listed in the liner notes at the end of this episode. If you like the cut of my jib, please check out my other podcast, Philosophy of Crime. Unless quoted directly from a source, all content should be considered the opinion of the host. That's me, James Renner. See you next week.